<laughs> Aren't babies entertaining? <laughs> they truly are. Hey, I'm Ben. I'm lead pastor here, and I am finishing up a series uh, called The Secret Lives of Almost Everyone. And really what we're looking at are some things that are, are, is true, maybe not of all of us, but of many of us. We've looked at the topics of uh, enabling bad behavior. Last week we looked at anxiety, uh, depression, got, just got a lot of great feedback uh, on that. And today we're going to try something a little bit different. Uh, and I want you to do this, want those of us who are watching us in Duval and Issaquah to do this as well. Uh, think about when you were a little kid, and maybe let's say five, six years old, maybe seven or eight, what did you want to be when you grew up? Why don't you go ahead and turn to the person next to you, and uh, turn to someone next to you, and tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up. Go ahead and do that. Okay, okay, now turn to your second choice and tell them what you wanted to be. Uh, it's true, everyone has a second choice. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, how many of you would say, I wanted to be a cubicle worker? <laughs> no, okay. Now let me ask the, the sad question. How many of you would say, I am basically a cubicle worker? Okay, yeah, quite a few of you. Well, there's good news for cubicle workers of the world. Uh, there was a, an article in Wall Street Journal talking about uh, some extreme sports that are very popular uh, with cubicle workers. Uh, and one of it is really uh, a running fad, uh, extreme obstacle courses. Uh, this is really not just like a mud run. This is beyond that. Uh, the article describes how participants will crawl under, and we have some pictures, will crawl under barbed wire, submerge themselves in ice water, jump through fire, run over hot coals, and at the electric shock obstacle, they pass through dangling curtains of electrical wires carrying 10,000 volts of electrical shock. Does that sound like a lot of fun? And then they go through a barrier of armed gladiators before the finish line. And uh, yeah, that pr pretty amazing stuff. As, as I was preparing for this, uh, one of our tech directors said, that's the kind of stuff I do for fun. And I'm just thinking, uh, I'm never going to say anything bad about him, because <laughs> that's a little bit crazy. Well, when we think about bringing excitement into the workplace, uh, maybe you say, I already have an exciting job. I can tell you something that will really bring a challenge, uh, an assignment, and some excitement. And that's when we take uh, the faith, if you're a person and you say, hey, you know, I, I call myself a Christ follower, or at least I'm on the way, and we take our faith and we bring it in the workplace. I had, I've had some gatherings in my home of people over the last couple of months and uh, we just had discussions about what are some of the things that you're facing. Number one, uh, people would say, you know, I become a different person at work. And I'm not sure how to bring my faith into the workplace. And I'm going to look at that in a moment. Uh, what I really want to do, though, is help us understand a biblical theology of work. And then we're going to look at an example of someone who got it right in the Bible. So uh, we, we see this, Genesis 2.15, right at the beginning, 
It said the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. One of the first things God does is gives Adam a job. And by the way, guys, if you're single, he gives him a job before he gives him a wife. And as a father of daughters, that's the way the Lord meant it to be. Uh, uh, you know, so first he gives him a job. Uh, that's not a bad thing at all. In fact, there are some uh, philosophies, worldviews, religions would say, you know, work is a horrible thing. And some people will even misrepresent Christianity as that. Uh, and not, I'll correct that in a moment. Uh, but work is given to us from God. We're meant to be Productive. How many of you, when you uh, uh, turned to the person next to you, said, you know, what I really want to do when I grow up is I want to retire early, collect some social security, and hit the early bird specials at Marie Callender's, you know? And no, that's not what you wanted to do. Oh, a couple of you raised your hands. Because uh, we get in trouble when we're not productive. That's true. That's, you know, the, uh, maybe you heard idols' hands are the devil's workshop. Sort of true. A friend of mine, pastors in Sun City, Arizona, says the number one issue they deal with there is infidelity. Don't think about it. Anyway, <laughs> so they really do because people, when they're not productive, they tend to just sort of get off course. And so work is something that God has given us really uh, as a blessing. Now, uh, we know after the fall of humanity that, uh, that there was a work that could, in a sense, have a curse to it. Uh, and that's uh, because of the fall of humanity that there would be work that would be less meaningful and seem more difficult. That's, that's what Jesus has redeemed us from. And we're to, part of his redemption work, and we won't experience it fully this side of heaven, is that we would find work uh, that is meaningful. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Uh, and this, and into this comes the issue of faith. So whatever we're to do, we're to work at it as if we're working for the Lord. And by the way, you know who that was written to? This was written uh, during the time when in the, in the Roman Empire, uh, there was slavery. About a third of the people were slaves. And even in that context, the Apostle Paul says, work as if you're working for the Lord. By the way, just a little aside on the whole slavery things, people say, oh, the Bible uh, it doesn't say anything about that. No, the Bible actually condemned that early on, slavery and slave traders, and it said, and if you could get your freedom, be free. But, but amidst that reality, living in that imperfect world, uh, it says, still work as if you're working for the Lord. And then Jesus comes along and he says, when you live your life, uh, well, let, let me read this. You, there's really, this is stated in a number of places, uh, but I like how it's said here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about us living our faith. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we hit this tension uh, that, as just as I've talked to people, of how do I, uh, you know, 
bring my faith into the workplace. Well, why are we hesitant to do that in the first place? Uh, the, the first uh, reason that we're hesitant is uh, we, we need a job. <laughs> That's it, you know. Uh, we, we need a job. We like having money to pay our bills. Uh, and so, you know, you can't be fired for your faith, but there's sort of that fear for that. Uh, another reason, I think this one is even bigger, is that we're inconsistent. Uh, that oftentimes we, we know what we believe, but we don't live that out perfectly. Uh, by the way, in Christianity, <laughs> that's, that's a validation of our faith. We believe that we need a Savior who is perfect because we're not perfect. And so uh, he brings us on in faith. We honor him more and more uh, with our lives. We sort of, as we follow Jesus, it's not that we struggle, don't struggle, but, but we'll find some areas where things that we used to do, maybe we used to get angry really quickly and we're not getting so angry anymore. And God works in our lives. Another reason, number three, is we don't have all the answers. Uh, we're afraid if we start talking about uh, our faith, uh, someone will say, hey, I was just reading in the book of Haggai, chapter two, and you're like, I didn't even know there was a book of Haggai, you know? And so uh, uh, with that, that's okay. See, one of the great things as we share our faith is we just share where God has us today. Because I remember when I first became a Christian, I wasn't raised with any of the Bible stories. I couldn't tell you anything uh, about the Apostle Paul or Peter or, or Acts or any of that. I didn't know any of that. I just know, knew the basic story that God loved me and wanted to be in relationship with me. And that's really all I could uh, tell someone else. Uh, but, and by the way, if you're, you're struggling with that, you might say, hey, you know, I don't, I'm just learning as well. Uh, you know, why don't you come with me and we can learn together? Uh, another very practical reason uh, we don't bring our faith to work is that we're afraid of being sidelined. Uh, we're afraid that, not that we're necessarily going to be fired but, but that we're going to be sidelined because of our faith. People will view us as one of those kind of people. Uh, I was just driving down to the gym the other day, and there were three people walking along, and they were carrying the signs, you know, the signs that I didn't even know that people carried anymore, you know, turn or burn, you're going to hell, and, and all of these signs, which I'm sure the people had a genuine faith, it's just those things have never been, no one has ever been changed. I've talked to thousands of people. No one's been positively been changed by that. And so what happens is we have like the crazy Uncle Christian in our workplace. You know what I mean? The one that's sort of like weird and you're like, oh yeah, look at that guy. He's a Christian. You're like, yeah, look at him. And yeah, you don't even want to admit you're a Christ follower anymore. Uh, and as I said, if you don't know who that is in your workplace, you're that person. And so we, we all have that. And in the midst of that, we have this dilemma because we, wanna, we want to do well uh, in life. And the, and the big question is, how can I succeed at work and honor God? How can I succeed at work and honor God? Uh, 
Now, there's a great example that we're given in the Bible. We've been looking at people from the older part of the Bible, the Old Testament, each week. In their lives, uh, some have been a cautionary tale like Eli and his sons who really enabled bad behavior. uh, If you ever wonder, so does the Bible ever talk to codependency? That's Man, you want to listen to week one in particular. Or depression, there's a lot of examples uh, of that. Well, here's an example of someone who got it right. Uh, Someone named Daniel. In fact, there's a book of Daniel in the Bible. Now, if you've read the Bible and you're starting to get into that, and you've gotten to the older part of the Bible, uh, it can be a little bit confusing because it's not in chronological order, uh, all of it. In fact, the book of Daniel really should come as one of the last books in the Bible. You'll hear uh, he's known as a a prophet. The first part of the book is really more uh, historical account, and that's what we're going to look at. Uh, He also uh, told about some things that were going to come. And so you have different prophets in the Bible, the major and the minor prophets. And it's not like, you know, some were major league and some were minor league. It just means some of those books, the, the major prophets, those were longer books in the Bible. Well, we hear in the first uh, six and a half or seven and a half chapters a little bit about Daniel's life. Around 600 uh, BC, uh, this is one of, again, one of the last books that were written in the Old Testament uh, before the time of Jesus. There was a period of about 450 years that uh, there was a sense of silence. People really weren't hearing uh, from God, at least through uh, a prophet uh, like they had known in the Old Testament. Well, in that, God's people had said, we're going to go our own way. And God led them. And his hand of protection was no longer on them. And like the other nations had happened, uh, they succumbed to uh, Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. Uh, there was, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, a crazy dictator in what is now Baghdad, Iraq, and uh, he wanted to take over the world. We've seen that uh, a few times in the Middle East. Well, that had happened then, and this king was named Nebuchadnezzar. He had really a great assimilation plan. He would take uh, the children of the leaders of the nations he conquered, and he would assimilate them into uh, Babylonian culture. And so there's enough of your history lesson. encourage you to read uh, that book of the Bible. But we're going to pick it up right there. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, uh, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites uh, from the royal family and nobility. Now, notice this for Daniel. Again, this is such a good example because we won't experience anything as difficult as he did. He didn't choose his job. His job chose him. Now, he, he maybe could have gotten out of it some way. Uh, there are examples. We see that even with hostile kings. But he's sort of going with the flow at this point. And then we read uh, what the king's uh, uh, chief of his court was to do. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of uh, food and wine from the king's table. Now, that doesn't sound bad. You know, you get good food, good wine. That is going to become a problem. And it's not, uh, you know, if you're a teetotaler, it's not because it was wine. Uh, it's sort of the, the food that was being given to them, and we're going to look at that in a moment, because it had a lot to do uh, with some of the pagan worship of Babylon. So that's going to be a problem. Uh, we read, they were trained, 
they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. And, and so I, here's what I want you to notice. Uh, sometimes we can have this, hey, you know what? We just need to hold our ground on absolutely everything. Uh, can I, I first point out what Daniel was willing to do in a hostile work environment. He was willing to be relocated. He was really willing to learn something, even that he didn't totally believe in. Uh, He was renamed, which was really uh, sort of crazy. Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge. Belshazzar means lady protect the king. That is not, I would sort of be protesting that if I was him. (laughs) You know, a little gender confusion, that's probably for another sermon there. But the, uh, uh, so, so that's literally what he's renamed. And so uh, in the midst of that, he does choose some battles. But his real goal is to, yes, to honor God, but also to make a difference in the environment that God had put him in. If you ever want to do something that's some, and by the way, if you're in school, this applies, uh, you can apply almost the same principles exactly. Uh, have you ever totaled up how many hours a week you spend at work? Any of you ever do that? It's sort of depressing. <laughs> it's a lot of your life. Uh, so in that, the greatest influence in your life will often, can often be in the workplace. It may have to do with the position you have, Often, it may have very little to do with the position that you have. So we learn some principles in the life of Daniel that I think are universal for us uh, if we want to honor God and also uh, have influence in the workplace, a question I've been asked so much. Well, what do we learn? Number one, be excellent at your job. Be excellent at your job. If you want to get an audience... Uh, with people, if you say, I really, I want to take my faith to work, you have to sort of be good at what you do. And because otherwise people usually won't listen to you. And so if you're like, you know, hey, I'm a low, by the way, if, if you're a low performer in a job, sometimes it just means you're not meant for that. I remember one of my jobs, I've, I've, had, I've had a long and storied career. I started out as a rock picker upper in an apartment complex. Then I was a mobile home washer, then a dishwasher, then a bus boy. Then I ran the blue light specials at Kmart. Any of you remember that? Yeah, and now I'm your pastor. So that's really, uh, the, uh, I did a couple things in between there. But uh, so uh, one of the jobs I had was as a dishwasher. And I tried my hardest. And I remember it was hard and I didn't really like my boss. He was mean to me. And finally one day he was chewing me out. And he said, you know what? You're never going to make it as a dishwasher. You weren't made to be a dishwasher. And I thought, Jesus, this is from you. You know, (laughs) I I was cutting my hands. It was horrible, you know. And so for me, I just wasn't wired uh, for that role. But but, but I I do really want to talk quite seriously for some of us, some of us have had great success to success, and that is a blessing. Some of us have had struggle to struggle, 
And, and you need to hear this because this is a spiritual principle if you're going to ever have any influence really in your life in a workplace. So we see Daniel, it's progressive. In fact, we're told in the book of Proverbs this. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. Uh, if you are good, no matter what you do, if you're excellent at it, uh, you'll tend to find benefit in life. You're gonna get paid more. Uh, things usually go better. We see this with Daniel. Uh, in chapter one, he's recognized for his good work. And then I included these. Chapter two, again, the king placed Daniel in a high position. He gets a promotion. Uh, chapter five, he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. He is, uh, a, he is really promoted again and again. And then it's funny, when people came against him, he was so good at his job. It says this in Daniel 6, 4. They can find no corruption in him because he was was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And so the truth is, is we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing uh, in that front? Uh, I just, I was having lunch with someone. Uh, this is not someone here. I was out of state, so don't try to figure out who this was. Uh, and, and was just talking about ever since college, had gone from job and lost a job and then lost another job and lost another job and lost another job. All right, it was three jobs in a row, I think. And he was starting his new job. And he said, you know what? I said, you know, what are you looking forward to? And he says, well, I really need to protect work-life balance. And I'm like, dude, you just need to forget the whole balance and you need to get good at the work part. And then you can get the life part. If you're young, by the way, you, you, need, to, you need to be successful first and then you can move uh, to that balance. There are people who workaholics and they find that is their God and that's a, a, a something that's negative. Uh, ask, ask myself these questions. Uh, you know, am I someone who's doing well? Or am I late all the time? Do I make excuses? Do I keep my skills up? Uh, do I claim credit for things that I shouldn't uh, claim credit? We need to be excellent at what we do. I think Christians should really be the best workers uh, they, there are. Don't make work your God, but because we want to have influence, uh, we want to be good at our work. And the side benefit is you'll probably get promoted and paid more, and that's not a bad thing as well. And number two, be faithful to God. Uh, be faithful to God. I, I heard this story. I was at a conference. Uh, a guy named Walt Callistead, I believe I maybe have short, shared this before. He pastors a church in the Glendale area, Arizona. Uh, it grew, grew quite quickly to a church of about 3,000 people a weekend. Uh, you know, big church doesn't know necessarily everyone in the church. Uh, he described one time uh, he was going to a convenience store and he gave the clerk there uh, $10 and then uh, bought his stuff and then the clerk gave uh, him his change, and she gave him the change, and he walks out to the car, and she had given him $20 in change, and he had only given $10. And he's like, score. No, he did, wasn't like that. He, uh, uh, he, he went back in, and he said, he said hey, uh, I'm sorry, you gave me uh, the wrong amount of change. She goes, oh, I know that. I go to your church. I just wanted to see if you believe that stuff you talk about. That story haunts me day after day. <laughs> I got to tell you. 
See, see, are we going to be faithful to God? This is complex. This is really complex. Daniel says this in Daniel one, or it says this in Daniel one eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Uh, his his context sort of had removed the spiritual component. You know, they're there. It could have been, hey, whatever happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. Uh, but but he's not going to do that. He says, I realize that this is a line that if I cross, I will dishonor God in such a way uh, that it just can't be who I am. I'm willing to risk everything. And this is where it takes real discernment. I told you all those things Daniel was willing to do, but when it came to this, he said, I'm not gonna worship a God that's not really God. And so... uh, he determines that this is where he's going to take his stand. But, but then I, I want you to notice this too, the, this third principle, and this is how he confronts this, is people uh, who honor God play nice with their coworkers. Because uh, notice, how, notice how he does this. Uh, how he's, he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself that way. Do you notice what he didn't do? He didn't say, hey, by the way, you're a bunch of pagans. You know that? I just got to tell you the truth because I just got to say it. We know people like that, and that's why there's therapy. And uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Stop it. So, because uh, you're not honoring Jesus when you do that at all. And he, what did he do? He asked permission. He was right. He was already had made his decision that this was a hill he was going to die on. But you know what he did? He said, can I? Can I go a different route than this? And, and it's interesting, we learn that, uh, that he comes up with an alternative plan. He makes it easy on the person, even though he's in a conflict situation. I think one of the things that will determine our effectiveness in representing Jesus, if you're a Christ follower in the workplace, uh, if you're not, this is going to help you anyway, is how we play with others in the workplace. Do we play nice? For those of us who are more, uh, maybe you're competitive, that's going to serve you well, but it may, you know, in getting ahead, but maybe, you know, playing nice is, is a harder Thing. There's a book that was written uh, uh, not too long ago. It was called High Maintenance Relationships. And the author outlines the types of relationship types that can drain us. And see if uh, you have any of these in your workplace. Uh, so see, maybe think of a name of someone who might be there. Uh, the critic, complaining, nagging, giving unwanted advice, uh, don't raise your hands, but how many of you work with someone like that? Or how many of you are married to someone? No, don't raise your hands. Don't, uh, uh, and if you do, you're brave, or you need more fish oil. Anyway, uh, there's also the martyr. This person is always racked with self-pity. No one notices what I do. I work so hard, but no one appreciates it. But that's okay. This is my lot in life. You know this person, 
Because every once in a while, you've made the mistake on Monday and saying, how was your weekend? And you're like, oh no, I take that back. I didn't mean, I really don't care. uh, Because they're always full of drama. And they move from drama. This is also called teenagers, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Then there's the wet blanket. Always pessimistic, automatically negative. Even when you're trying uh, to... Uh, be, when they're trying to be positive, they can be negative. You know, there's always sort of that, that, that remark. Uh, I pastored a church once, uh, and I've shared this in Kingman, Arizona, 37 people, 34 little old ladies, three happy little old men. And one of the little old ladies, she was one of the meanest people I've ever met in my whole life. And uh, she was like 86, probably weighed 80 pounds. I was scared to death of her. And uh, she was just always this chronically negative person. And I determined that I was going to try my best to love her. But, but here, here's what I, I say this, because, you know, I'm your pastor. I'm going to love you anyway. But when I did her funeral, her own kids wouldn't, wouldn't come to it. And so you need to be careful. Uh, then there's the superstar. They always have to be the center of the attention. Uh, the green-eyed monster, they seethe with envy. The sponge, they suck up emotional, all the emotional energy in the room. Uh, so we all, we all have these. So, so now the question is, have you identified those people? And now here's the hard question. Which one would they identify you with? And if you can't think of that, then there's a whole new category for you. Because all of us, can tend towards one of these negative ways of relating with people. And it's not just being a nice person. It's making sure that people can see Jesus in the midst of what we're doing. So uh, we we see that, and uh, we see that Daniel asked for permission, and he was literally given permission. He was given an opportunity. God intervened in a powerful way. I've shared the story before. A friend of mine, Dale, when I I used to be a college pastor here in the area, one of the first ministry assignments, uh, he worked at a car lot, and uh, his sales manager asked him to lie to someone. And that rarely happens in the car business, I know, but but he's a Christ follower, and uh, he was a pretty good salesman, and he refused to lie to him. And the sales manager said, you know what, that's not really a problem. I'm glad. No, he didn't say that at all. He swore at him, cussed him out, told him all sorts of things. And uh, Dale said, shocked, he thought he was going to get fired. Three days later, uh, he called him in the office and he made him the sales manager. And because uh, he was a general manager and he was moving up to new car sales manager. He said, well, I, I thought you were going to fire me. He said, you're the only one I can trust at the dealership. He said, because if you wouldn't lie to a customer, my guess is you wouldn't lie to me. And so it, it may not always end up that way, but oftentimes there can even be a, a, a vocational benefit to honoring Jesus. And then look for spiritual opportunities. Uh, I call this, uh, if, if you ever read the book of Esther in the Bible, great book uh, in the Bible about how God intervenes in a very difficult situation. There's, there's a moment where Esther, who's made queen of, again, a foreign empire, uh, she had people who don't honor God, and the, the people of Israel are being persecuted, 
and her uncle comes to her. There's a time where there's going to be a genocide, uh, one of the many that's happened over the years uh, with the Jewish people. And he said, maybe it's for such a time as this that God has made you queen. And have you ever thought about that? Maybe you've just got, maybe you're now a business owner, and for such a time as this, maybe you're CEO, CIO, CFO, C, you know, the, the program manager. Maybe it's for a time like this that God has put you in that position of influence, not only to do well and to do, provide for your family and, and give to God's work, but also to make a difference for in the workplace. And, and so I, I encourage you to say, hey, what, how can I do, do that? And don't do it in, in a weird way. Don't, you don't have to force opportunities. There will always be spiritual opportunities. I, 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 you know, someone says, oh yeah, hey, this coffee's hot. Don't say, so is hell. Do you want me to tell you about heaven? You know, that's not a good thing to do. <laughs> Don't, don't try to do that. Uh, you, you, you never really need to force it. Uh, someone will say, hey, how many of you have ever heard this? Man, uh, I'm really going through a hard time with my spouse or my kids. And you'd say, hey, and this is how I would say, hey, I, I don't know if it's okay with you. Would it be okay with you if I prayed for you? Rarely will people say no. Or, or maybe it would be, hey, you know, my church, maybe one of the series we do once or twice a year, they're doing something on family or parenting. I remember a while back you said that your kids were driving you nuts, and I don't know if it would be help to you or not. Maybe it's just inviting, it's opening your heart to people, inviting friends uh, over to, uh, to your house. Because a lot of people you know, they get a, a caricature of what Christians are like. And you can invite your church friends over and your friends from work and your friends from wherever. And it's interesting when we just, got, see, God will do the work if we're willing to open up our lives. One of the things we learned from Daniel is this was not a one and done situation. I wish I could tell you, Daniel stood up for his faith and he never had a problem again. Two other times his very life was in danger because of his faith. But he said, you know, this is a battle I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to navigate it because I want to honor God and I want to do well at what I do. In fact, one of the, one of the many times uh, we see where that happened, this is one of the, the kings, one of the three kings he served. He issues a decree, decree and this is the, the, the non-God-following uh, king, he comes to this conclusion, for he is a living God, and, his, uh, and he endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed, his dominion will never end. Ephesians 5.15 says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. See, I think for some of us, the, the first thing we need to do if we really want to take on this task is to identify with Jesus Christ. Saying, you know, I'm not perfect, but he is. Last weekend, by the way, if you missed it, uh, on our Redmond campus, we didn't have it at our Issaquah and Duval campus, but Redmond campus alone, we had 28 more baptisms 
We've uh, it, great, more people have identified publicly in baptism this year, uh, just this year so far than the history of the church. And there are two ways that we identify, two symbols given that where we say, okay, I remember and I identify with Jesus. One is baptism, and the other one is one that we sort of take as a church family, and that's communion. That's where we, we recognize what Jesus has done for us. And we say, Jesus, just as you gave your all for me, I will, the best I can, give my all for you. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us, and then we're going to receive communion together.